Hey folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. Obviously, I'm looking for you to join the Tortoise Shack and help support this left-leaning progressive podcast platform. Continue to put out the content that there are literally thousands of you listening to. And the way you do that is you click the link at the top of the podcast that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. I just want to say thanks to everybody for the feedback to the Dara O'Brien interview. Negative and positive. It's all welcome. It's We are just doing our best to try and actually ask the questions even if we aren't satisfied with the answers we received and also think I thought it was quite touching some of the messages I received in relation to Luke Ming Flanagan's uh, talk discussion he had with us in relation to his own struggles with mental health and we're very grateful that he shared that with us and you our listeners anyway one more time please go to the Patreon link I can't tell you how difficult it is to try and maintain your independence especially when the first thing people are cutting in this cost of living crisis is the discretionary spending so we know it's tough out there and we need your help to keep the mics on and the conversations going I'm going to stop rabbiting on enjoy the podcast um, got it don't do leave meeting I guess <laughs> we should leave that in <laughs> yeah. hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast my name is Tony Groves and we are back talking to one of our favourites on the pod uh, long time favourite someone who we have uh, we've spent many's a, many's a good uh, good old chin wag with over the years and someone who continues to be uh, an outspoken critic both uh, in the European Parliament and indeed he comments quite often on events domestically uh, your uh, MEP Luke Ming Flanagan Luke it's great to see you again how are you keeping good yeah um, uh, definitely um, um, kind of uh, at times you despair looking at the news but um, uh, uh, kind of uh, working away I've probably I've probably um, uh, never been in the news less but I've probably never uh, uh, done more and I've never been working at more different things so um, uh, maybe maybe I'll become uh, uh, more a person who does stuff than talks about stuff well, like, like I don't think you've, you've never been shy of a comment, but we have also, we know this, that the uh, Ireland turn, t- tends to think of the, as the European Parliament as something, you know, that that's uh, we cover in the build up to the election and maybe we look at every now and then. And sure, the only thing that matters is, are we going to join NATO or not? You know, and that's uh, yeah. everything, everything else they kind of take as uh, that happens out there. But we know that's not true. Well, the fact the fact the fact that uh, only uh, one uh, national uh, newspaper has uh, a correspondent out there, and th- that's the Irish Times, and even at that, uh, they have to cover uh, issues outside the EU as well. And uh, the fact that European Parliament report is on uh, once a month at crazy times, at uh, time basically very late at night and very early on a Saturday morning, only once a month. It's uh, it it you you basically don't get uh, much of an opportunity to uh, to explain uh, what's going on, uh, and I suppose uh, that leads to a lot of uh, skepticism as well, as far as I can see, because usually people find out about things at the last minute. Uh, before they ever get an input into it, before they ever hear anything about it, because it isn't wall-to-wall news like what happens, and which is correct, what happens in uh, in uh, the Dáil and in the Shannon. Is it, though? Is it, though, wall-to-wall news? So much of the news we get about the Dáil and the Shannon is just salacious nonsense Luke, it's not news. It's not oh, politics. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, you, you're right. Yeah. Um, it gets loads of coverage, uh, but to call it serious news coverage would be would be would be a stretch. And uh, they're basically uh, it's really uh, tittle tattle as far as I can see. But uh, actually, uh, 
serious reporting. Uh, I don't know. They obviously feel that doesn't attract an audience, which is a bit of an insult uh, uh, to, to people out there. But that's well, we, obviously we, how they feel. We've, we, we tend to refer to it nowadays as palace intrigue in lieu of actual, you know, reporting on events that matter. But um, speaking of events that matter, we I know you've been a long time advocate for the decriminalization and legalization is also of cannabis in particular. And I know you attended a recent cannabis um, conference. And I also know that you've, you've uh, posted pictures of, of a nice uh, plant that you've, you, you seem to have grown yourself, Luke, um, that, that, that you, you seem very proud of. And the citizens assembly for drugs has belatedly kicked off. What did, what do you make of it um, with, with the, with the benefit of not being, uh, not being here to, 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 to see it uh, firsthand? What do you, what do you think of it yourself? Um, uh, well, of co- look, um, uh, you're, you're, you're always be curious in the run up to these things, uh, how they'll uh, pan out and uh, how the uh, expert committee uh, will uh, perform. Uh, will they be independent? Uh, will they uh, be so influential that uh, the 99 people who were chosen for the Citizens Assembly are somehow cowed into just going along with everything they say? But um, uh, that generally it doesn't hasn't been the case with citizens assemblies, and with this one, uh, it, it, it's also um, it turned out way more positive than I expected. And the uh, depth of knowledge of uh, the ninety nine people chosen at random, and their their point of view, well, for their, as far as their depth of knowledge is concerned, I've been really impressed. And uh, the direction that they seem to be clearly pointing in, which is for regulation, which is for decriminalization, which is for a health-based approach, uh, I have to say that's very hopeful. But obviously, out of the uh, the Citizens' Assembly on repeal the 8th, there was quite clear path afterwards as to what would happen. You know, it was, uh, we, were, we were looking at a situation where there was going to be a referendum. Obviously, uh, there isn't anything in our constitution that prohibits the use of cannabis. It's something that would have to go through uh, uh, legislation. So uh, what happens afterwards, whether politicians listen to it or not, time will tell. But I think it'll put the argument uh, for a change and a big change with all drugs uh, into, a, 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 into a stronger place. And it will sharpen people uh, up when it comes to debating and discussing these issues in the same way as with repealing the eighth. You know, people originally would have started out, you know, people would have said, well, only in cases, situation where there is rape. And then there was a development of the argument. Well, how do you prove a rape in time for someone to get an abortion? And that, that moved people's views. And they thought, OK, yeah, it should be more than for rape. It should be in more general circumstances etc. So the debate developed with the Citizens Assembly and I think likewise uh, with uh, with this issue, it seems to be developing that way. And it's at, look at, um, uh, you'll find it very hard to, to come in across me here because this has been coming a long, long time. Well, I'm going co- to come in across you and say yeah, do, yeah. it's been coming a very long time and Ireland is now fast becoming an outlier where the where the the drugs issue is concerned we've seen in the states we've seen in parts of europe where they have used both decriminalization and legalization in drugs and particularly in portugal we've seen a, a drop in the amount of overdoses and that's the key factor that's what this is all yeah. about we're trying to save lives 
people will still use drugs regardless of what the 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 citizens assembly comes out with and that needs to be remembered you're not going to stop drug use by saying don't use drugs it hasn't worked in 50 years it's not going to work so you need to think differently do you think the citizens assembly is up to it luke i mean it is starting from 20 years behind yeah, it it look. Um, I think uh, one of the main reasons I think they have citizens' assemblies uh, are because I think in general politicians are cowards. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking yeah. for um, uh, um well, on legalization of cannabis, basically, <laughs> um, uh, and they're waiting uh, for uh, permission. And uh, I think uh, uh, the public, they're going to see, and look, it was clear anyway. I mean, they're all into their opinion polls and they do their polling. It's quite clear when you look at, if you look at uh, successive polls that this isn't a politically challenging issue anymore. This isn't an issue that as a politician, if you call for legalisation, that you end up getting strip searched six times in 12 months like I do, or all your friends aren't terrified to meet meet with you in case they get done for possession. <laughs> We're in a different realm now. And uh, this is another um, a comfy chair for politicians to be able to snuggle up onto when they finally say, yeah, we should change this law. And um, uh, so we are coming from behind um, uh, in one of the... One of the downsides of being beside the UK, uh, definitely on this issue, is uh, we look relatively progressive in comparison to them. But these two islands uh, are overall behind. When you look at what's happening, as you've already said, Martin, all over Europe, and if ever there was a time to do it politically, like some people might say, why haven't you been on about this all the time? Look, you get sick going on about it. Mm-hmm. I've been talking about this for 30 years. You do other stuff. At this. It's not like people don't know your opinion, but there is a time to strike when to really push this, this issue. And now is the time. And previous, not only um, are you not going to be subjected to what I was subjected to when you called for legalization as a politician, you've now got this massive help of, you know, originally I, I would have said to me, but everything will go mad. It'll be crazy if we do this. Uh, society will fall apart. Oh, and you like, never, those, you, like those You could books. never say... You could never say, well, here is an example, sorry, of where yeah. it was. But we have we've international best 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 practice now to show. We yeah. can point at Lisbon. We can point at countries. You can point at yeah. We can point to Colorado. At, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and across Europe as well, Tony. At the moment, um, uh, in Malta, uh, you can grow your own cannabis, or you can be part of a cannabis club. In um, in northern Spain, in uh, the yeah. Catalan region, you can do it. Uh, they are changing the law in Germany, not to a commercial system because of worries about uh, the Schengen Agreement and worried about worries about UN agreements on narcotics. But by the end of this year, you will be able to grow your own plants. You will be able to uh, uh, join a club. Czechia has gone even further, although with the system of you've got to register as a user. So, um, uh, you don't really have to be that courageous as a politician to to um, to say you're in favour. At this stage, I think the debate is how and how so how we do it and how soon we do it. Just don't want it to get lost either, uh, Luke. In a, in a debate about decriminalising hash and grass, it's more than that. That's there well, is I'd more. Well, I'd be about legalisation. That would be my view, anyway. 
Yeah, but it's it's about more than hash. This is not a simple citizens assembly about hash. This is about all yes. drugs. Yeah, we're we're, yeah. we're 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 gonna you're gonna find as as you said. We look, we know. I I share your your uh, optimistic output that it has been some of the mood music coming out has been very good and very positive and that's great to see. Um, I, I I need to go very quickly to the day job, Luke, if you don't mind me. I know you're on the agriculture committee. I've seen that you were warning the European Parliament recently not to make the same mistakes again. In fact, your uh, your your pin tweet says for the nature restoration regulation to work, we must learn lessons from the botched attempts at implementing the Birds and Habitats Directive. I spoke at the European Parliament Agri Committee about this, and you did indeed. You actually. I don't know. There was a there was some of it had to be a bit of tongue in cheek, Luke, when you were talking about uh, manning the barricades, or maybe I'm just th- thinking that we're that you know, it's a bit well, of rhetoric to try and provoke. Well, uh, <clears throat> the the nature restoration regulation, uh, a proposal by the European Commission, uh, is something that we have to do. It is essential. It's essential that we restore biodiversity. It is essential that uh, we bring it back to a condition where life can be sustainable in the long run. It is the most important thing that we will do. So if you're going to go about doing this, which we have to, then you have to be very careful about how you do it. And you have to look at um, who you're dealing with, who you're talking to, and what's happened in the past. Like with with anything, you have to look at history. And my history on it would start in the early 80s, sitting in a classroom with a geography teacher showing us pictures of Denmark, where there wasn't a hedge, there wasn't a plant out of place. There wasn't a scrap of land that hadn't been used. There definitely wasn't lumps of stones here and there. There wasn't trees and fields. There was nothing. And if you wanted to get a good mark in that test, you'd basically have written down, we're a bit stupid. We don't maximize the amount of land that we have. And we've really got to change and we've got to be like Denmark. And that's a policy that was pursued. Absolute and utter madness, but that was a policy that was pursued. And to pursue that, they gave people, farmers, horrible people if you listen to some people, amazing people if you listen to others. But look, there's a variety of them and they're all they're all, they're all different. But these variety of different people followed that lead. They followed the experts and they pulled up their hedges and they got right rid of their trees. And not only that, if they didn't pull them up, some guy came along and drew a red line around the map and said, you're getting nothing because you have That's this right. stuff here. So... In order to live, you were told to pull up absolutely everything. A disastrous policy, a crazy policy, but that's the route that a lot of people have went. And people were told the reason why you had to do it was because, come on, you're a bit stupid farming like this. And in a nutshell, for me, that's how the message was delivered. And that's how I heard it in school. Let's not blame blame the people who went with the the, the groupthink and this perceived wisdom at the time. Let's talk about needing to reverse that trend now. That's my next point, Tony. That's my next point. Let's get to the point you want to make. 
Let's not make the mistakes of how they tried it with the, as you said, the bird and habitat thing where they left people behind. They, they talk to them. And we we make this criticism in Ireland all the time whereby. But you this know, is even earlier than this. This yes. is in the 80s. The birds and habitats then came in 1990. And as far as I'm in the in the 90s, different parts of it. And basically, there what people weren't sat down with. It wasn't explained what the end game would be. And what I am saying is now we've got to do this right. And what could we learn from? When did farmers do it? Well, when they brought in the Habitats Directive and they brought in Natura 2000, initially uh, farmers were told you will be given a guaranteed €242 per hectare if you're in this area. Were farmers pissed off about being in this area? No, they weren't. They were delighted. The people who weren't in that area were like, how come I'm not in that area? And people were very happy with it. Now, there was various problems along the way, but it was being worked with. Now, those same people are not happy with being in those areas because they don't get this payment. And you might say, why would you give them a payment? It means you can do less in a traditional agricultural way. You can produce less. uh, You could potentially have no cattle or whatever. And it meant that it was viable for them to continue. So what I'm saying is for this to work, we need a completely new fund and we need a fund that will pay for this. And ultimately, if you're not a farmer, whoever you are, if you live in these areas, it will impact positively on everyone. And but more importantly, people will do it. And you've also got to paint a clear picture of what it will look like when people say, I'm sorry, we're going to have to reflood your land. I understand the benefits from an environmental point of view of doing that. But if you don't say to someone that this will be your living then, because you do make your living out of it, and you don't explain why, you will have a revolt and you will have a revolution. You're sounding, what you're sounding, or what you're saying there sounds very like just transition, Luke. Yes, yes, that's it. You know, know? uh, will we pay farmers to, we've paid farmers to husband the land, we've paid, or to husband animals, we've paid farmers to produce crops. Will we pay farmers simply to leave the land fallow and let it go wild? Now, to me, it's a no-brainer. You're changing their occupation. You're changing it from one of production to one of husbandry. And you're going to have to pay them to do it. You're simply going to have to pay them to be managers of the land. And they do this in Switzerland and they do it and the payments are significant enough. Like some people go, how would you get more people into farming? Well, I know a lot of people think most farmers make money. A lot of them, they don't. It is Mm. just about uh, hanging on. And the question, how do you get more people into it? You make it more viable to be there, to pay your mortgage, to get your kids to college, all that stuff. You do it for the same reason. Obviously, people do it for other reasons as well. It's part of their culture. It's part of what they've done for generations. But if you if you make it viable, people will change. And there is a middle ground as well, as in you can farm in wetlands. There is a thing called polluticulture where you can produce crops under this system, whether it's reeds, whether it's fodder, whether it's various types of berries, whether it's products for the pharmaceutical industry. And there are ways of doing this. And there are EIPs, which are pilot projects showing how this is done. But People have got to see 
that it will work mm. in practice, not just in theory, because previously people were also told, grow miscanthus, grow um, uh, willow for biomass. That's environmental lunacy now to even suggest that. And the Greens were suggesting that. So yeah. my point being is if you're going to suggest something, it's got to be real. It can't be a notion. We know what the destination is, but you have to have an actual real route to that destination. And that doesn't say, hold on, we'll feed you at the end of the route. Trust us. Yeah, without financial security, it ain't going to work. Without giving people a, a, a guaranteed kind of uh, minimum income, they won't fall below. Without giving people, if they choose to, you know, change to other industries, a, a route to do that. Whether you know, Without giving all of these things, we keep making this point, is it a just, just transition or a just us and our pals transition? And yeah. You know, and that always that always worries me, Luke. I'm, I'm hoping now. I'm sorry now. It's going to change tack for a moment because it's something I know we're we're caught for time. So I want to bring something up because you put a couple of posts up recently on social media about you spoke openly on social media about your own mental health. Not only did you do that, but you spoke about how when your own mother struggled with her mental health, the the treatment that she she had back a, a generation or two ago. And yet now we were, and this was all brought on by um, another uh, government politician speaking uh, out of both sides of their mouths with this kind of, we're going to say, it's uh, it's as if saying the words, you know, it's okay to not be okay suddenly fixes everything and that, you know, the, the yeah. supports weren't there. Do you mind me asking, can we first of all get into that a little bit, if we could talk a little bit about your own situation, and then we maybe talk about the, the lack of resource that the state have failed to provide people in in urban and rural communities? Yeah, um, I, I would have, as a child, um, uh, look at, you don't realise it at the time, but looking back, you know, some of these things you don't realise at the time are so bleeding obvious when you look back. But looking back as a child, I would have uh, suffered from depression. Like I'd have had days as a nine or a 10 year old, I'd be sitting there staring into the fire going, this is basically keeping me going, staring into the fire. And you were kind of wondering what it was. And you, you develop different ways of trying to deal with it. And like my first experience of actually approaching anyone about it was I went to a GP and like it was an all right, a decent GP it was an all right man. But basically, um, he wouldn't have known me that well uh, because it was in Galway City. Um, I'd only been there about two years and uh, I was prescribed uh, antidepressants. He didn't know anything about me, really. He didn't know anything about my diet. He didn't know anything about, did I do any physical exercise, anything like that. And do you know what? Um, he kind of did me a favor. And by the way, uh, some people, uh, they are they get great benefit out of using some of these uh, uh, tablets that they're given uh, by, by doctors. But for me, it's it basically scared the shit out of me. I thought, geez, if he feels I need to take tablets, I must take this a bit more seriously. So I started running, which, you know, that might be a bit annoying if, if if you've got serious, really bad mental health problems and someone is saying it will be solved by running. But for me, it helped, you know, and I developed different things as I went along. And then as I got a bit older, I kind of worked out that uh, my mother had been depressed, very depressed. 
um, uh, and uh, would have well, who wouldn't? Uh, I would say, as a woman in 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 a country where there was no contraception, and uh, you were referred to by your husband's name in letters. But anyway, uh, they call it depression. She find found life difficult, and all along the way, all I've seen is. At best, rubbish resources uh, but, for but, people but, who look, look for I, help. You know? But when you said you re- recognise it now um, in your mother, when you look at when you look upon it now, when you think about you know uh, how how it was treated, you know, because I we've all had you know members of our family, and, and we're all you're you're a little marginally older than me, but you're much younger than Martin, um, and uh, and and you we'd have had that sort of mindset where someone in in the family and they had you know we don't talk about it, we don't talk about it. And now we're and now we want to pat ourselves on the back because we say we will talk about it, but we and we you know we won't we won't uh, look for a carpet to sweep it under as much. But even when when you think about it now, when you were a child, and and you you think of of your your how your mother went through it, do you think that had a, a lasting impact on how passionate you were when you spoke about this the other other day? Well, I remember going into uh, the school principal um, uh, in secondary school to get a form to extend my extend uh, my ability to get a medical card because whatever I think there was a new you had to when you were over 16 you had to reapply or something like that but I remember Mm. the principal saying to me how's your mother and I was like going oh she's all right she goes oh she's been sick I was like has she I didn't say that to him I was like has she been sick so not only do people cover it up but everyone knows anyway and you nearly end up being the one who doesn't know. And everyone in town knows about your mother and you know about their mother, but you don't know about your own. And it's a kind of a bizarre situation. So I kind of found, I was like, I said it at home then. I said, what, what, what were you sick? And I got I got more information about it. And it was kind of sad that I hadn't been told before that because, uh, you know, um, uh, I'd like to help, you know. Because I, my 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 mother was uh, was wonderful, and the idea that she'd be sad is well, that would make me sad. Obviously, it, like, you know, it, it's so. strange. Tony said that mentioned about the age difference and how things have changed. Back when I was a teen, uh, that's quite a few years ago. I was really quite depressed through my teen years, really, and and attempted suicide then at eighteen, and ended up in Jervis Street, getting pumped out in Jervis Street. And I have to say. The experience was just fucking awful, awful, utterly, utterly. Yeah. I had to go to an AA meeting. I had no addiction problems. I was just depressed. I had no addiction problems whatsoever. Uh, but I had to go to an AA meeting and sit, a box ticking exercise it was that I had to sit through. And when I came out the other side of it, it was prescriptions for medication, blah, blah. It took many years to to work it out and get through it and, and find a path. As you know yourself, look, you find something positive to stick your energy into, be yeah. that running, be that something else, be that kids. Having kids made a huge difference to me, massive, massive difference to me. But I, I really don't think that the services are there. And I think that there are an awful lot of people who are talking utter bollocks about being depressed and they don't understand what the difference between being depressed and being sad. And there is a fucking huge difference between the two. Yeah. And I honestly, anytime I see a celebrity, somebody talking about depression, I just fucking skip over it. 
I skip over. I say, well, I, what, what I, what I, well, look, Martin, thanks. First of all, thanks for sharing that. But I will say, I, yeah, I, the, what my problem with the mental health gurus that we have now is that they're most for the most part, they're not qualified. They're just no, talking bollocks. They're, yeah. yeah, they're, they're and, and we have to put up with them. I, mean, I remember you, you made an interesting point, Tony, about, OK, we, we it's good to talk about it. We shouldn't sweep it under the carpet. Yeah, that's good. Of course, that goes without saying. But you know what? I'm sick of listening to it at this stage because yeah. now, OK, everyone is talking about it. Everyone is talking about it. But some people are in a position to actually do something about it. And you can say, well, in opposition, what would you do about it? Or what if you're an MEP, what are you doing about it? Very little, really, lever-wise, I can do. But if you are in government or you're a member of a government party, you have levers to do far more than just talk about it, far more than to become a, a what what's the term, a champion of mental health. You're, you can't be a champion of mental health if you support a government that basically makes life difficult for people with mental health or has policies that cause mental health problems. Being a champion isn't worth a damn to anyone. It's useless. In fact, for me, and this is where my frustration came from, was just I wish I was in a position to be something a bit more useful than a bloody champion. Mm. Yeah, I can, and I want to I really double down on your point because when we have um, a government right now dealing with a lot of political and civil society unrest where we've seen scenes that no one wants to see on the streets. Uh, but we also know that many of these areas, uh, maybe socioeconomic de deprivation, there may be, there's lots of, we know we have the highest income inequality in the EU. We know, you know, before social transfers, they don't put a value on living on, uh, been, you know, having to get these social transfers just to make, just to keep the wolf from the door. We know people are are suffering with mental health issues more and more. We know that people are getting diagnosed now and their solution is more Garda. And if you're, and I'm going to say this now, and I might get in trouble, but George and Kencho needed a social worker. George and Kencho needed a medical health professional and a mental health professional to help him. One of my one of my friends who was no longer with us needed a medical health professional, and I do, it's not my place to, to use their name because I, you know I haven't got the consent of the family. But one of my friends who's not here, but the person who who they got. No offense to the Gardaí was a Garda and Gardaí aren't trained for this. Yeah. And we and we end up in situations where in one situation it, it spirals out of control and George and Kencho is, is killed. And in another situation, my friend takes their life. And we know that this situation is this. So when we talk about people saying it's okay to not be okay, and then they and then they say to you, Well, here, go and listen to this podcast, you know, <laughs> like um Get yeah. fucked. Like, I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, get fucked. It's okay not to be okay. It should be easier to be okay if you didn't have to wait for hours on end in an A&E. It would be so much easier and they can do something about that. It would be easier to be okay if you weren't worrying and you were in Donegal that your house was going to fall down on top of you. And mm. Like, it'd be so much easier to be well, okay. Can, you know, can I say, can I say this? And I, I want to say, I, I am not at all shocked that young people are getting depressed younger and younger and younger. It doesn't shock me at all. When you're, we'll say you're 12 and you're looking down the vista of what's in front of you, particularly if you stay in Ireland, it's horrific. It's horrific. You'll never own your own home. 
You'll always be in precarious employment. You'll always be precariously living. Um, you'll never be able to leave home. You won't be able to start your own family. I mean, this stuff is really depressing fucking stuff to look at it from the outside in. And I'm really not surprised. The future is bleak for young people, very bleak. And that's before you ever touch on climate action or anything like that. It's just bleak. And we've created this bleak world for them, utterly bleak. I think it's, yeah, I think they, it's depressing they, even talking they, about it. They have, um, I, I, I suppose, it, it, if, if it isn't obvious now that the wrong, well, we made the, the my generation made, probably made the wrong political choices. In fact, they did too many of them. Uh, but it, at this stage, uh, that monkey is so far up the tree that uh, these young people can't but see its arse at this stage. And uh, hopefully uh, you, you've got to believe in politics and democracy that it can change it. And if you get the right people in place and uh, uh, we've got to hope that uh, the next general election is going to do that. Um, uh, and that's going to be obviously. It's anyone but Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and uh, 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 the Greens at this stage. I mean, you'd have to hope someone can do it better. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I doubt that there, there there is, but I think change has to come as well. Grassroots change, grassroots change will be the only effective long term change. But I do, I do think it's important as a state we replace the uh, the two headed monster. It's been Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael for the last one hundred years, absolutely. But on the, if I was to ask you, well, I suppose it's 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 kind of a, an important question now. Are you are you going to continue in Europe? Or are you going to come home and 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 come back domestically, Luke? I don't know. Um, Any time when I do this, I kind of uh, the few marathons I've ran, I've always said to myself in the week running up to it, I Last never, one ever. ever ever do it again. Never ever ever, and it's only. Um, really with about six months to go that I go, okay, will I do it? Like in my head, I'm never doing it again once I get elected because you're, you are you put a lot into an election. Inevitably you do. And you, it's the last thing you'd ever want to do again is run in another election. But it'll, uh, it'll, uh, time, time will, uh, time will tell on that one. Uh, it, it's more likely I, I, I'll end up uh, in staying in the European Parliament if, if uh, people vote for me. Well, hopefully you do. Luke and and you and I have had a little chat. You know, I'm 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 looking for somewhere to live, and I quite like Ross Common as a place. Yeah, you to made it, made a good choice. You made a good and, choice. Uh, uh, I, I'm hoping I... to end up in. So we could be neighbours down. Now I'm not a bad neighbour, honestly. Oh God, I'm not right. a bad neighbour. You're, you're, you're welcome. I, I I won't be asking the locals to vet you in advance. <laughs> yeah, I won't I tell you. Anybody who Although comes out, come to think of it, I might for you, Mark. Luke's favourite. Luke's favourite poem. Luke's favourite poem is Frost Mending Wall. Good walls make good neighbours, Martin. Get on oh, the other I've side always, of that wall. I've always agreed with that, but <laughs> there won't be anybody uh, uh, counting heads or vetting me because I swear to God, you'll only do it the once. Luke, <laughs> that, that'll be the end of it. Luke, can I ask you, um, uh, and again, you don't, I don't want you to speak for her, but is your daughter Isabel going to follow you into politics? I, do you know what? Um, I'm I'm not sure. Um, she's um, basically in college now, doing mm. um, uh, uh, sociology and politics, uh, a good mix. Because uh, at the end of the day, one one causes problems for the others for a long, long time. <laughs> Very true. So, um, uh, 
Yeah, I, it, it, it's up to herself. Uh, I'd be wary of her doing it because you worry about your, your children doing anything, you know, whether it's climbing too high on a tree or or whatever. And uh, politics is a very, very high tree and uh, you, you can fall off and get hurt. So um, uh, my, my instinct to protect her probably isn't the best instinct. Uh, yeah, but we'll a, Flanagan, a Flanagan dynasty. Oh, you could set yeah. up a dynasty. There's plenty of dynasty. I will say, I will say, we 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 we've been fortunate to meet meet the two of you a couple of times, and she's far more impressive than you. So maybe there's something yeah. more in that. Like, um, the last thing I suppose we should we we've kind of skirted around it. The disappointment of the scenes that we've seen in Inch, the disappointment we've seen on Sandwich Street, the and we've spoken about the challenges that we're going to face as a as a European continent and what's coming our way, um, in the European Parliament. It does seem to be that uh, Fortress Europe is going to kill more people. We, I, I can't believe to this day no one picked up on the the story that we did on Fatmata, who was killed by a policeman in North Macedonia, and no one really flinched. You know, I, I didn't yeah. see anybody else outside of the tortoise shack covered in the Irish media. Luke is. Uh, <laughs> Is there any hope for an actual idea of, well, how do we prepare for what's actually coming and not move, go down the route of Fortress Europe? Well, I'd be very, very worried, worried politically. If you look at uh, if you look at uh, so many different countries, they are turning to the right, and the further east you go, the more to the right they seem to be uh, seem to be turning, and it's. I don't know. It's 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 sad. Uh, it's uh, the rise of racism uh, the rise of, I don't know, really shitty attitudes just seems to be it seems to be coming from uh, all directions. And it, it is worrying. And especially like, you know, when you hear it from Irish people who are, are well, we were subjected to it in, a, in our own way over the years and people questioning the legitimacy of us traveling places and all that. And uh, like, I'm just thinking of. I'm thinking of um, uh, um, the uh, five, uh, myself and four mates who went to Munich in 1994. And I say it tongue in cheek. We all had done the FCA uh, the previous summer. So we all knew how to fire a gun. We were all certainly military age. And um, uh, we got um, uh, we got welcomed in Munich. We got work. Um, uh, we actually did live on a campsite as well because there was a shortage of uh, a shortage of places to live. But uh, the idea that uh, the locals will be standing at the gate, uh, checking my name and saying, "What am I doing here?" And you know what? You know, I was I, I wasn't uh, fleeing persecution or conflict. I was, according to some people, the worst type of uh, migrant. I was an economic migrant. Imagine Absolutely. the horrors of doing that. Hey, eh? I know it is. It's a strange world, and you know what? A lot of it too. Luke is down to the lack of balls of those in government who just can't come out and say this is yeah. racism because they're afraid of losing their racist votes. And I've been on the campaign, you know, I was on the campaign trail with you in Ashburn, so you know. Um, you knock on doors and people come out and they say the absolute craziest, vilest things to you. And as a politician or a candidate, it is up to you to say, no, I don't deal with this shit. And just turn on your heel and walk off. But there are far many, too many candidates who will entertain that shit for the hope of getting a vote off that person. And therein lies the problem with the government and those in authority at the time. Grow a bit of balls. Say wrong is wrong. Luke Ming, always a pleasure to chat with you. 
always a pleasure to hear what you're up to in the EU. And again, you're not covered enough for the work you do in the EU. We've said it time and time again. There are more than Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael voting to let people drown in the EU. More goes on than just that. So thanks again for coming on and have this conversation with us, Luke. Thank you, Martin. Always a pleasure. Listen, folks, we'll leave it there. We have another... Uh... We have another special guest coming tomorrow, and uh, and and apologies on the on the Oliver Callan one. I I know I flagged that that was coming, but we had a scheduling issue. So and that's on. It was actually at my door as well. So I've uh, I, I dropped the ball on that. But we get that to you as quickly as we can. Talk to you all very very soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony speaking to interesting people only. It's the Subscribe now on page.